today we're going to talk about food. Uh, food in Judaism is a lot more than just uh, kosher, as I mentioned in my promo. Um, we all know about kosher, milk and meat, and pig, and, and yada, 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 but there's a lot more to food than just that. And so what is so important about, what are the, what are these things about food? What else do, does Judaism have to say about food? So first, of course, uh, food is a, is a hot topic right now because, you know, in quarantine, what else are we doing besides for food? There's a lot of uh, memes and jokes going around. Some of them are like, you know, oh, I don't know if this flattening the curve is working. My belly seems to be getting bigger. Uh, there's other ones, you know, pandas are known to eat, you know, 12 hours a day. So that's why we're in a pandemic. Um, you know, some people are saying they're getting a tan from the light in their refrigerator. So there's all these different uh, problems today going on with food. Everybody's eating lots of food. And uh, so today we're going to try and gain a deeper appreciation, not just on what food we eat, because that you've heard about kosher so many times, but more importantly, we're going to discuss and get a gr greater and deeper insight on how we eat it and when we eat it. And it's actually quite fascinating. A lot of things that uh, people don't know. So first, um, considering that we've been discussing, you know, Judaism in your home and and uh, that's the topic that we've been discussing, how to bring more Judaism into your home. One of the main things we do at home is we eat. And um, if we go into detail, uh, you'll see that uh, once again, Judaism doesn't only have what to say when it comes to um, morality, when it comes to spirituality, but it has something to speak about in every single aspect in our lives. And just as last time when we discussed um, every single law that there is, there's a simple level and a deeper level. And so today we're going to discuss how we eat both on a simple level and at the deeper level. So all the different things that we do. Just a simple example, just so you understand what I'm talking about, how we eat, making a blessing, washing your hands, things like that. So the first thing is, um, how does Judaism giving us a prescribed way of eating, how does that help us on a simple level and how does that help us on a deeper level? So on a simple level, of course, Judaism gives us self-discipline. First of all, of course, by telling us what we should be eating, that automatically gives us a certain amount of self-discipline. And self-discipline is, is an important thing in life and it's a general skill in life that's, that's very uh, important to have. I was listening to a webinar about parenting the other day, and people have this negative connection with the word discipline, but really discipline is what allows people to uh, get farther in life. And so when you give your child discipline, you're enabling them to get further in life. And uh, actually, there was an experiment in Stanford University um, many, many years ago called the marshmallow experiment, where they gave the child, I think they said, you get one marshmallow if you eat it now, and if you wait, 10, if you wait 15 minutes, you'll get two. And all the kids who had the self-discipline to wait, uh, they followed them throughout life and they actually did better in the long term. And so discipline is a very, very important uh, thing to have in life in general. So that's the first thing. The, not only what we eat, but how we eat it, you know, um, that can help us in self-discipline. The second thing is on a more spiritual level, we said all mitzvahs have the word chibur, which means bond and connection. And so you can look at a mitzvah as a obligation, as a difficulty, or you can look at it as an opportunity, and we will choose to look at it as an opportunity. And so the opportunity that we have over here 
is that every single time we eat, we have a, a opportunity to connect with God. Not just what you're eating, but how you're eating it and what way you're eating it. And as we'll get into the little details. And so we shouldn't look at the details of Judaism as a uh, difficulty, but actually an opportunity to connect with God. And finally, um, when we eat in the proper way, and again, again, I want to reiterate, today's discussion is not about kosher, a lot more than kosher. When we eat in the proper way, which we'll discuss, we are fulfilling the divine plan. Why are we created? Why is there a world? Well, what's the purpose of all this? And as we mentioned last time, the Madras tells us that God wanted to bring sanctity within this world and within this world to every single aspect of this world. God doesn't just need people to serve him because for that, he could have angels. He wants uh, and, and not only that, it says that uh, when the body comes down to the, when, we, when our soul comes down to this world, its main purpose is actually not to elevate the soul. Of course, though, our godly soul gets an elevation, but it's actually to elevate three other things, to elevate our natural soul, to elevate our body, and to elevate the world around us. That's our job, to bring spirituality, to bring importance and meaning into all of those things. And so when we eat food, which is of the most physical things that we do, we have the opportunity to uplift that. Uh, to put it in other words, some people have a feeling that spirituality, something spiritual is ascetic, you know, when you're separated from the physical. Simply put, think about Yom Kippur. Everybody feels, everybody feels holy on Yom Kippur. What's so holy about Yom Kippur? Oh, we all feel holy. We're not eating. We're like angels. We pray all day. That's holy, right? But uh, coming, you know, you know, eating food on Shabbat in the synagogue, is that really holy, you know? And, and so actually Judaism says, no, holiness is actually expressed. Um, the purpose is not to live a Yom Kippur life every single day of the year. Otherwise, we would be doing that. Otherwise, we would have Yom Kippur for a full, you know, for a full year. Uh, the purpose is Yom Kippur is supposed to give us the feeling and to infuse us with um, the proper feelings to bring that spirituality to the rest of our year and to the rest of the things that we're doing. And so um, when we eat properly, we are fulfilling our divine mission, which is to bring meaning and purpose into our food. And so if we eat with the proper intentions, then now that food, that food is infused with meaning, not just gluttony, not just you know pleasure, but it's infused with meaning. Um, so now let's get to the actual laws and the meanings of uh, food. So the first thing we're going to discuss is timing. Um, when are we supposed to eat? Uh, when you feel like it. So the first thing is we have to know is that we should try not to eat when we are. We, we, so, okay, the first thing Jewish law says is to only eat after you pray your morning prayers. Last week we discussed all of the morning prayers. And it says it's preferable to eat only after you've had all your morning, uh, only after you've said all your morning prayers. However, caveat today, people are not so strong. Um, they say that, uh, you know, it used to be people had silk minds and iron stomachs, which means their stomachs can handle everything. Silk is fine. We had very refined minds. Today, we have the opposite problem. Today, we have iron minds, meaning thick, and our stomachs are silk. They can't handle anything. So today, we would have trouble concentrating without eating. And so it's become a Chabad custom, or many Hasidic custom, to actually eat before we pray. Particularly in Hasidism, there became a renaissance in the area of prayer. Prayer became a very important 
a point of divine worship. And in order to pray properly, many times you have to eat. And so they said, one should eat before you pray. And there's actually a story took place in 1851. The third Chabad Rebbe uh, found out that his daughter, who was sick, was, her doctor told her to eat early in the morning. Now, she didn't want to eat before she prayed. So what she did was she rushed through her prayers, and then she ate. And her father told her this very important line that uh, we live with till today, and that is, better to eat in order to daven than to daven in order to eat. And I'll say that I'll say that again, better to eat in order to pray than to pray in order to eat. In other words, you, it's, you don't want to pray in order to get over with it to get to the eating. We'd much prefer you eat in order to get over with the eating in order to pray. And, and more than that, to use that energy of that eating for the prayer. And um, you know, we could take this as a life lesson, this idea of eating in order to pray. Uh, in life, this means that the physical realities of our life have a higher purpose. Um, in other words, you can look at it like this, or, or put it in other words, um, some people do commandments, do mitzvahs. In other words, there's one way that you could do spiritual things for physical benefit, right? So there's a way that, uh, well, I'm going to come to synagogue, I'm going to be a good person, I'm going to pray. Because I want the physical benefits, I want God to bless me. That's the reason why I'm doing it. Now, while, of course, we all hope and pray God will, will bless us, and when we do what he wants, he will give us the blessings that, uh, that, uh, the blessings that he can give us, nevertheless, that's not the proper outlook. We don't do things in order to be rewarded. The ultimate level is the other way around, to, to um, eat in order to pray. In other words, we... We understand that all the physical things we have is to reach to a higher level, to connect to God more. There's a story of the Baal Shem Tov, the first Hasidic master. He uh, one time did something. He gave a blessing, which God didn't, whatever it means. It says that God didn't want him to give. And God says, I have to fulfill what you say. But as a punishment, you're not going to have a place in the world to come. And so it says the Baal Shem Tov became very happy. He said, till now, I wasn't sure if I was serving God for the reward of the world to come, or am I serving God because that's the right thing to do? Now that I have no reward in the world to come, now I know that I'm serving God purely out of uh, the desire to do the right thing. And it says that afterwards, the Baal Shem Tov got back his uh, world to come. But what we get from here is that, of course, there's a level in our life where we quote unquote, pray in order to eat, where we do our service to God, where we serve God in order to get the physical benefits. But that's not the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is, so to speak, eat in order to pray, which means using whatever we do have and using it for what God wants. Um, so again, back to our point, um, we should eat in order to pray. Otherwise, your whole focus of your prayer is to eat, which is uh, not good. Now, just one important point, even though we eat before we pray, uh, that doesn't mean that one should have a whole giant breakfast before you eat. Um, you can do it, you know, just what you need. You don't need to have a whole uh, sandwiches and eggs and whatnot. All right, so that's point number one. So the first thing of how a Jew eats is, first of all, 
on a technical level, before we pray, we're only eating in order to pray, which is a general message, which is that when we eat, there is a purpose in the eating, and we'll discuss a little bit more on that a little bit later. But the first point is don't eat your sandwich with eggs in the morning before you do your morning prayers. Uh, you know, first eat something, maybe a bowl of cereal, do your prayers, then, then have a full-on meal. The second thing is an interesting Jewish law is that you have to feed your animals before you feed yourself. And once again, we're going to discuss this on the simple level and a deeper level. So on the simple level, um, the Talmud uh, says, of course, that you have to feed any animal that is under your ownership that relies upon you for its food, dog, a cat, a bird, or fish, whatever it is. So if you own an animal, but that animal hunts for itself, you don't need to feed it. We're referring specifically to an animal that is relying upon you for their food. And also, of course, that the animal is hungry right now and needs the food. Uh, then you should definitely feed the animal first, and that is the Jewish law. And it's based on a verse that says, I will give grass in your field for your livestock, and you will eat and be sated. That is what we, in the second paragraph of the Shema. So what it's saying is that when we eat, the first thing we have to do is to feed our animals, and then later we have to uh, feed ourselves. As it says, give grass in your field for your livestock, then you will eat and be sated. Um, there's an interesting thing. Um, why is it that we feed our animals first? So uh, first on a simple level, it reminds us to be compassionate. And again, when we come to food, food is such a self-focused activity. When we eat, we're very much focused on self. Uh, they, they tell the uh, story of the gentleman who came from a long journey and he comes to his friend's house and he, his friend, you know, he's hungry. His friend gives him a bowl of food to eat and um, he starts eating and the friend starts asking about everybody in his family, you know, from, from far away in the old town. So how's this person? How's that person? Everybody he asks him, he says, oh, they're dead. Oh, they're dead. They're dead. Finally, he says, it doesn't make sense. How is everybody from the old town dead? He says, listen, when I eat, the whole world is dead. And so, unfortunately, some people are like that, you know, when we eat, we're totally focused on our bowl. And I, when I say some people, I don't always mean some people. Sometimes I mean some of us, some of the time. I would admit I would do it sometimes too, that, uh, you know, when, when I get eat, when I eat, I get very much self-focused. It's a very much self-focused activity because only you can eat. Of course, you can invite guests, but the actual act of eating is very much a self-focused type of activity. Um, so the first thing is when we eat, we're reminded to be compassionate, not just focus on my own personal needs, but focus on others, which is why uh, we have the animals uh, should be fed first. The second thing is, uh, one second here, the second thing is that we must know is there is a verse in Tehillim which says um, that God, you saved man and beast, Okay. And so again, it says you saved man and beast, which kind of implies that, well, okay, so the commentaries read it like this. They say you saved the man because of the beast, meaning the animal. What does that mean? It says sometimes a person is not fitting and not deserving of, um, is not deserving of getting sustenance from God. And so therefore um, what happens is um, one second, sorry here. Got to fix something over here. 
um, sometimes a person is not deserving of the sustenance of God, and the only reason they get it is because of the animals that they're feeding. To put it in other words, God says, today, you know, today you're not so deserving. Today you're, uh, you know, for whatever reason, you know, you didn't do, you didn't do enough things, but God says, I'm still going to give you, um, I'm still going to give you money. I'm still going to give you livelihood because you have all these animals you take care of. And I think that's a general lesson too, is that uh, sometimes um, maybe God looks at us and says, you know, maybe you're not deserving, but I see, you know, you've given this charity, you've helped out these poor people. Um, and, and so to speak, he's looking at us and saying, you know, maybe, maybe he's not deserving, but um, I'm going to give to him anyways because of the other people that he's helping out. And so that's another powerful reason to help others. So again, this law of feeding your animals first also teaches us that we should be feeding, um, helping others as well. A third explanation around why we should feed our animals first is an interesting one, more Kabbalistic, and that is that it says um, when we eat, we are elevating the food that we eat. And in the world, there are four stages of life. Domain, somea, chayim, adaber, inanimate, vegetation. Uh, so inanimate is like stones, vegetation is all the vegetables and all that stuff. There's high living creatures, and there's medaber, which is um, people. And so these four stages, they have to be elevated from one level to the next. So plants grow out of the ground. They elevate the inanimate of the world. Animals eat plants, they elevate the vegetation of the world. And people uh, elevate both, whether they're eating animals or putting in the tefillin or a Torah scroll, whatever it is. And so everything gets elevated. And so therefore the animal has to eat before the human being because that's where the stages go. The animal is elevating the vegetation and you are going to be elevating the uh, animal kingdom of this world. Um, so again, we've discussed two Jewish laws. One is when we eat, and we discussed uh, one should eat your primary meal after you pray, but before you pray, uh, you still should eat something. And we said there's this concept of uh, uh, praying in order to, sorry, eating in order to pray. We don't want to pray in order to eat. Uh, we want to infuse meaning into our eating. The second thing we spoke about was feeding our animals first, and that taught us the general idea that although eating is self-focused, uh, we should think about others. And not only that, when we have compassion on others, that might be why God is giving us the blessings that we have in our life. Now we get to Natilas Yadayim, the washing of the hands. So um, let me just, um, so everybody knows about washing the hands, right? When you eat, you have to wash your hands. Uh, when you uh, eat bread, use the washing cup like this. So we wash our hands every single time we eat bread or matzah, not just on Shabbat, not just on holidays, but every single time we eat bread or matzah, we should be washing our hands. Uh, we have to make sure before we wash that the bread is out and ready. Why? Because once you wash, you don't want to make any delay. You want to make sure your hands are still clean and you're ready to go eat. Where do we wash? Um, it should take place somewhere other than the bathroom. Why not the bathroom? Because the bathroom is considered um, a non-holy place. You can't make a blessing in the bathroom. And of course, um, um, 
if you're in when we wash our hands, we make the blessing all in Tilak Gadaim. We also want to make sure we wash as close as possible to eating the food. So again, you have to wash not inside the bathroom. You have to uh, wash every single time you eat bread. Make sure the bread is ready to roll. So basically make sure you're ready to head straight from your washing into your eating. When we wash our hands, we have to remove anything that's on our hands, any rings, any dirt. We have to fill up the cup with water. Of course, it can be any cup. These cups are easier because we wash the two, the two hands. Uh, so again, you fill up the cup with water. Be sure to use a lot of water. Why a lot of water? A lot of people don't realize you have to wash your hands from the, I forget what this is called, wrist, from your wrist to the tip of your fingers. A lot of people wash, they get the water over here maybe, but it doesn't come all the way here. So you wanna have a nice amount of water. It says if you use a nice amount of water, God will give you abundant blessing. And so when you wash, a lot of people hold their hands kind of like this, kind of like a cup. And so you pour one, two, three, one, two, three. So that's one way to do it. Um, or that is the way to do it. Um, now, some people have different customs, how many times they pour over their hands, but we do three on each side. A left-handed does it the other way around. So a left-handed will first put on their left hand and then on their right hand. After you've washed your hands, now you lift up your hands like this to your chest and you recite the blessing of al natilat yadayim. And uh, I can, if you, need, if you don't have the blessing, I can send it to you. After that, you rub your hands together like this. That is because there are some opinions that say that the washing of the hands is really, uh, so to speak, the rinsing. Kind of like today in, in um, when people wash their hands uh, for hygiene, uh, a lot of it is about going like this. And so it's a similar idea after wash your hands to also go like this. Um, and of course, dry your hands. You don't want to have wet hands when you eat. And then um, you go to the table, you make the hamotzi blessing. And like any blessing, you're going to hold on to the food that you're going to be eating. You dip the bread into the salt. And from the time you begin washing until you eat the bread, make sure you don't talk. Why don't we talk? The reason is because when you wash your hands, you know they're now clean and you're able to eat um, bread. If you start to talk, you start to get involved in other things, you might forget um, and not take note of uh, your hands and they might get dirty again, or at least dirty for the sake of eating bread. Now, um, what is the history of washing the hands? Was it always a commandment? When did it start? So it's actually an interesting thing. A lot of people don't know the obligation of washing our hands is rabbinic in nature. It actually did not exist until the time of King Solomon. In the time of King Solomon, he decreed that only Kohanim, high priests, should wash their hands um, before they eat holy foods. However, all other foods they were able to eat at different times. Later on, uh, in the times of Beis Shammai, We've heard of Hillel and Shammai, the famous sage Shammai. Uh, he decreed that Kohanim must wash their hands for other foods also. However, it was only later in the times of Rabbi Akiva that washing our hands was instituted for all Jewish people. And so it's interesting that, um, so why did they institute everybody should wash their hands, so to speak, in, solidar in solidarity to the Kohanim? You know, we don't want the Kohanim to make any mistakes. We don't want the Kohanim, the priests, 
to um, miss washing their hands. And so, so too, we have the same idea that we also wash our hands um, in order to, uh, in solidarity to them, so that just as when they wash their hands, they will remember, uh, they'll remember when they eat the holy food that they needed to wash their hands. So, you know, kind of we all do it. So it's a very interesting thing that we're all washing our hands just because the Kohanim in the temple times had to wash their hands when they would eat holy food. So now we all do it. So in one sense, you could say it's it's a powerful testament of the Jewish faith that we're all doing something, uh, you know, to help another. We're all washing our hands to help the Kohanim for when they have to wash their hands. But that's at a simple level, at a Jewish law level. And again, like I said, everything has a meaning, a deeper meaning. And so what is the deeper meaning over here to washing our hands? So again, we have a technicality. It had to do with the Kohanim. They had to wash their hands before they ate certain foods. And so now we all wash our hands. But what is the deeper significance? So in order to understand that, we have to first delve a little bit more into eating again. And again, we said earlier, there's nothing simple about eating. It's a big struggle in life. It's a struggle for many people um, on, a, on a plain level, on a physical level. A lot of people have trouble um, dieting. They tell the story of a um, young, young man in America who's having trouble with his dating. And so um, after going to many, many places, he finally decides to head off to England. Maybe in England, he'll find his match. So he called his matchmaker, matchmaker, make me a match. Anyways, he, he went to England, he started to go on a date. And he had studied all the different things, um, all the important um, words that you have to change from uh, American to British. So for example, he learned it's a flat, not an apartment. It's football, not soccer. It's a lift, not an elevator. So he's getting ready for the date. He sits on the date, he's talking to the girl and um, you know, having a beautiful conversation and finally says, you know, I must tell you, you look like a million dollars, I mean, a million pounds. Anyway, so a lot of people of us, uh, you know, we eat a lot of food, unfortunately, and it's a big struggle for a lot of us and everybody's trying to diet and there's all types of diets. And the struggle is not just a physical struggle, but there's also a spiritual struggle to it too. And indeed, the Zohar says uh, that the time of eating is the time of war. Shas, Slochas, Shas, Kirva, the time of eating is the time of war. And it says that the word uh, lechem, lechem, the word lechem, which means bread, also comes from the word lochem, which means to fight. And so when we eat, we're having a fight. What is the fight consisting of? The fight is, am I eating with the proper intentions? Am I going to make sure that I'm eating with the proper feelings in mind or not? So of course, on a simple level, you have to fight with yourself to eat the right foods. I can definitely tell you in this area, it's not easy to say no to certain foods uh, because kosher food is difficult to get, which just a um, plug, it's not so difficult as it used to be. There's kosher Clearwater, there's Costco. There's a lot of places you can go to get uh, good kosher food. But nevertheless, um, the first part of the war is what we eat, but even more important than that is how we eat. And like I said earlier, uh, the goal is to endeavor and everything that we do to inject a holy purpose in what we're doing. And eating is of the most self-centered and self-focused naturally. Naturally, it's one of the most self-centered and self-focused things that we do. Naturally, that's how we eat. Uh, Rabbi Tzadok, a famous Kabbalist, Rabbi Tzadok of Lublin once explained it. He said, when Adam and Eve were given the choice of eating in the Garden of Eden from the tree of knowledge and the tree of life, um, so to speak, that plays out in all of us. 
there was this option, so to speak, to eat the tree of knowledge, in other words, of good and evil. So they had the option to eat it self-focused, so to speak, evil. It's not evil, but it's not good. Or they had the option to eat the tree of life. And so when we eat, we have two ways. Are we eating totally purely for self? And even if it's a self-preservation, in Judaism, self-preservation is not a purpose in it of itself. Self-preservation is not bad, but it's not good. There's no, there's no use in it. Um, as they, as you know, as uh, there's this sad commentary. Um, somebody once said, "I want to meet this child that everybody is going crazy about." And he explained what I mean. He says, um, "Every, you know, everybody's doing things for the children, for the future generations." And so, why are those children doing it for the for for their children? Why are those children doing it for their children? He, he says he wants to meet the final child at the end of the chain that we're all working for. You know, he wants to be, what's so special about this final child? And so again, if we're just about self-preservation, self-preservation in it of itself is not a purpose in life. And so when we eat, we have a choice. Do we want to eat for self-preservation? And sometimes even worse, self-gratification, uh, self-aggrandizement, self-gluttony, uh, whatever you want to call it. Or we can eat life. We can infuse meaning into our eating. And how is that? If we eat with a purpose, we're eating for a purpose, a holy purpose. And that is why, oh Yisrael, that is why uh, many, many people over the generations have what was called a skafia. Skafia meant that um, they would hold themselves back. They wouldn't eat everything. Why wouldn't they eat everything? It wasn't starvation. It was about is there a purpose? And I can tell you, all of us, we, most of us, or a lot of us have trouble staying away. We go to the pantry and uh, we look for different things. And I have to tell you, tomorrow's cooking show will not help with your escafia. Uh, you, you'll go there and you'll see all the delicious foods that we want to eat. And uh, so, so most of us, food is a, a wonderful, delicious self-experience. And what we have to try and do is infuse within our eating some meaning and some purpose. Um, and that's really the, the, the difficulty when we eat. And so what you might call mindful eating, it's actually an interesting point. Um, you know, I said that when you eat, you have to eat with purpose in order to elevate the food that you're eating. So for example, if you eat and then you do a mitzvah, you've elevated the food that you've eaten. That's actually why non-kosher food is called asur. Asur, we loosely translate it means forbidden. But what's the problem with non-kosher food? What if I eat the non-kosher food and I do a mitzvah? It says that the word asur, forbidden, also means asur, means tied down. Non-kosher food is tied down to the point that when you eat non-kosher food, it is bound. It, it cannot escape. And so when you're eating, once you eat non-kosher food, it cannot be elevated through eating. Sorry, it cannot be elevated through good action afterwards. So if you ate something non-kosher and then afterwards you did a mitzvah, the energy of that food cannot be elevated. It's asur, it's bound. The only way to elevate it is through teshuva afterwards. Um, there's, on the other hand, though, when we do elevate food, that is really a most wonderful and special thing that we can do because then we're elevating the world around us. As I said earlier, that our mission is not to, just to elevate our godly soul, but more importantly, our mission is to elevate our animalistic soul, to elevate our body, and to elevate the world around us. There was a story of a, a rabbi. Somebody came to him with a question about an animal, if it was kosher or not kosher. 
in other words, it was a kosher animal, it was slaughtered properly, but there were certain defects in the animal that may have made it not kosher. And he spent a lot of time figuring out how to make sure that it's kosher. So that somebody said, why, why, why go through the bother? Just say it's not kosher. And nobody, and you know, he said, no, he says, when I come to heaven, uh, this ox is going to come to me and say, how come you said I'm not kosher? Why didn't you spend the time figure, figuring out how I am kosher? And he says, I don't want to meet an angry ox when I get to heaven. And so that really, that, that story really brings out this idea that when we eat, it's not just about for ourselves, that us being mindful, we brought purpose into our lives, but we're actually bringing purpose into the world. And that is a very, very important thing. I once heard a, uh, a uh, story, uh, anecdote, whatever you say. There's a saying, it says that um, that uh, many souls sometimes can come down back into different items in this world to be rectified, so to speak. So, you know, so he tells the story, he says, one time there was a soul that lived a, a life, but it had some issues in their life. And so the soul came back down into this world into a stalk of wheat. And uh, this stock of wheat is sitting in the field and the uh, farmer comes by and uh, chops down all the wheat. And luckily enough, he managed, you know, he didn't fall on the floor. He managed to get it in the truck. And then he's brought to a distillery where they were making vodka. And he was lucky enough to become part of the vodka. And then the vodka goes into the store and this bottle of vodka is sitting on the shelf for six months. And uh, people are walking to and fro and checking all different bottles. Finally, one day, a uh, Hasidic, a Jew walks in and picks up this bottle. Ah, so lucky. He's going to be elevated uh, for some meaning and purpose. He's probably buying this for some holy event. And so this bottle of vodka comes home with this Hasidic Jew and is brought to a, a Jewish, a beautiful celebration, a bar mitzvah. Ah, what, what, what better for the bottle of vodka? And uh, so this little soul gets poured into a cup for someone, about to be elevated, very excited. And uh, the person who's going to make this, uh, who's going to pick up his cup of vodka with a soul in it, picks it up and says l'chaim to the host and drinks it without making a blessing. And all his uh, effort, all that time. So the point of the story was that there's parts, there's so many parts and elements in this world that are waiting for us to come and elevate them. And so it behooves us to bring purpose and meaning every single time we eat because we have the uh, we we have the ability to elevate things that are around us um it's actually interesting it says that's why we get hungry spiritually why do we get hungry is because the food that we're hungry for uh or, or sorry we get hungry because the food is waiting to be elevated and so our soul wants to eat the food to elevate it physically we feel it as hunger it also says that's possibly why some people like other foods and not others, because that just depends on what your job and what your mission to elevate in this world is. Um, and so this helps us understand why we need to wash our hands before we um, eat our meal. To say one more um, example or, or, or anecdote, it says that someone who eats bread without washing their hands, it's as if they had a forbidden relation, forbidden relationship. Now, why is that? Typically forbidden relationships, illicit relationships are, you know, one time stand where there's pleasure, but there's no deep meaning to that relationship. And that's the same thing. If we don't wash before we eat the bread, we may possibly be eating for pleasure but without deep meaning in what we're eating.
And so that's why before we eat, we make sure we wash. Washing, it says, spiritually is symbolic of wisdom, um, clarity, the clearness of the water. And so we wash our hands. That's a way to get us in the right mood and to elevate us to a moment of clarity to realize why am I eating it, for what purpose I'm eating. And another reason we use the water, water reminds us that we're pure and uh, we wash our hands because um, that's the externality of ourself. Inside, we're pure. We're washing our hands. That's our actions, our deeds. And so again, to recap, so why do we wash before we eat? To get us in the right frame of mind. Water, which represents wisdom, clarity. We should have clarity before we eat. Why specifically bread? Because bread is the quintessential food. Today, maybe not so much. There's gluten-free and all this other type of stuff out there. But <clears throat> the general idea is that people typically used to live on bread. And, um, and so therefore, before we eat, we need to have a moment of clarity and to infuse meaning and purpose into what we're eating. And this is really the theme of today. Again, it's not just what you eat. And as I said earlier, what you eat, that just allows, if you eat the right foods, kosher foods, that allows your food to be elevated. But that doesn't mean your food is going to be elevated. In order to elevate your food, you have to eat it in the proper manner and in the proper way. And that's really all of today's discussion. And all of the laws really connect with that. And um, so that is the meaning of washing our hands. So again, we discussed today, we discussed um, eat before you pray. Why? Because we don't want you praying in order to eat. That's the wrong way around. We eat in order so we can pray. We also discussed feeding your animals first because we have to bring compassion. We should not be so self-focused. We discussed the washing our hands. That brings us to clarity before we eat. Everything so far we've learned today is all about bringing meaning into the food that we eat. And again, like I said, Laws of kosher just tells us which foods can be elevated. But in order to elevate it, we have to eat it in the proper way. So we've already had three different uh, rules about eating that enable us to eat food in the proper way, which enables us to elevate it. And now we have another rule, and that is, of course, the blessings. Now, it's interesting. Uh, biblically, we are only mandated to make a blessing after we eat. There's no uh, mention in the Torah of making a blessing before we eat. The sages legislated uh, making a blessing before we eat. And so the question is, why? Why was it not biblical? Why is it only rabbinic? And there's an interesting explanation. And it says like this, that it makes so much sense to make a pre-blessing that the Torah did not have to command us to do it. As they say, there's no atheist in a foxhole, so to speak. You know, before we, when we're hungry, we don't forget about God. When we need something, we don't forget about God. We usually forget about God once we're full and satiated. And so the pre-blessing is obvious. The post-blessing is not as obvious. It's an interesting explanation. So what's the point behind, um, what's the point behind um, eating? Sorry. Another point behind eating. What's the point behind the pre-blessing? And so one reason is given is that when we make a blessing before we eat, we are, so to speak, at, it's like asking permission, so to speak, asking permission of God to partake of the food that he has given to this world. You know, some people think that the blessing that we make um, before is more like blessing the food. A lot of people say you're blessing the food. It's uh, more like asking God permission to partake of the food. And second of all, it's thanks. Uh, we're thanking God for the food that he provided for us. The Kuzari gives a deeper explanation of this. He says, when we recite a blessing, we make ourselves aware of the fact 
that life could have worked out in a way that the food would not have been available to me. And it gives us the mental awareness that this food is here because of God's blessing. And that's an important one. There's a story in the Talmud of a certain sage who every single day his um, caretaker or whatnot would bring him the food, put it in front of him. He would close his eyes and make a prayer to God that he should have food to eat. And the caretaker always looked at this and thought it was very strange, you know, uh, that, that the rabbi is praying for his food when he already has it. One day he decides he's going to play a trick on the rabbi and uh, the rabbi closes his eyes to make the prayer and whoosh, takes the food and goes, goes to hide it in another room. As the rabbi's finishing his prayer, there's a knock on the door. Uh, the caretaker opens the door. Someone had come by to bring the rabbi a present, a basket of food. And so he learned his lesson that, yes, truly all food is a blessing from God. And that is um, one of the messages of, of the pre-blessings is to give thanks. Thank you, God, for the food that he has given us and also asking permission to partake of it. And of course, that will help us use it in the right way. So as far as blessings go, you should know there are a lot, there are six types of blessings that can be made. There's a blessing on bread, hamotzi. There's a blessing on wine. We are all familiar with that one, hagafen. After that, the rest of the blessings are lesser known. There's a blessing for fruit of the tree, ha'etz. There's a blessing of things that grow from the ground, ha'adama. There is blessings from things that are made from the five grains that's not bread, for example, cookies and cakes. That's called mazonot. And there's a catch-all blessing for anything that doesn't fall in those categories called shehakol. Um, now, again, to figure out what blessing to make on what food, there are general categories. Again, if you're eating uh, fruits, you do this. If you're eating uh, vegetables, you do this. If you're eating bread, you do this. If you're eating cookies or cakes, you do this. It's pretty simple. Uh, you can find charts online, or I can send you a chart if you want it. Um, but you should know that certain foods are debated. For example, what is considered a tree? Is it a certain height that makes it a tree? And so it's actually interesting. It says that it has to be something that lasts for a full year. So for example, banana trees are ha-dama, because banana trees, um, every single year, it's a new shoot that it grows from. A similar concept plays out with blueberries. I believe different types of blueberries actually have a different blessing if it's wild blueberries or regular blueberries. But if you're not sure what blessing to make on certain fruits, uh, you don't know how they grow, you can download apps. There's the Brachos app, the Blessings app. There's the CRC app, the OU. Uh, there's lots of lists out there that can help you with blessings. Also, cereals are complicated. Foods that are mixed of many different things are soups complicated what blessing to make on it. Usually, again, you go after the primary ingredient, um, but a lot of this, what blessing to make can be found online. One interesting thing about the blessings is that we have specific blessings for all the foods. Why don't we just make one blessing that covers it all, a catch-all? And this brings us back to last week when we discussed the morning prayers where we thanked God for the different details in our life. When it comes to thank, thanking, more detail is better. It, it, it makes you connect more with the gratitude involved. You know, if you just thank God for your life, that's one thing. But when you thank God for your seeing, for your hearing, for your speaking, for your walking, for your sleeping, when you thank God for all the different things that you can do, it's much more powerful. When you thank your spouse, when you thank your loved ones, the more detailed you get, the more powerful that gratitude is. And so a similar thing plays out with blessings is that when we thank Hashem, we thank God for the food that we're about to eat, 
we want to get as detailed as possible, and that is why there are all these different blessings. Again, there's um, some things are difficult to figure out what blessing it is, so you want to, if you're not sure, you can contact me, but again, there's different apps out there that can help you. Uh, one important point, when you make a blessing, of course, when you make a blessing, you're saying God's name. You don't want to say God's name in vain, so you want to make sure you have the food in front of you. You know, sometimes you make a blessing and you're expecting the food. Uh, you know, you think it's going to be there. So you make the blessing, then you open up the refrigerator. Lo and behold, somebody ate it before you. I remember one time I, um, I came home and I saw this pan. And I remember there was leftover lasagna the other day. So I was hoping I would have uh, some, uh, heat up some lasagna and eat it. So I put it in the oven, this leftover lasagna. And uh, about... 15 minutes later, I smelled chicken. Opened up the uh, toaster oven. It turns out I put chicken. It was the same size pan. I didn't even bother to open it up. I thought for sure it's the leftover lasagna. But what had happened is somebody else ate the lasagna. And then my wife had put a, 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 a foil pan in there with chicken to be cooked for that night. I didn't even open up the pan. I just put it straight in the toaster oven. And now I made this whole problem on cooking chicken in the dairy toaster oven. <laughs> and so again, uh, you don't know that you have something till you have it. And so don't make a blessing on something unless you actually have it in your hand. Um, they tell the joke of the um, child who really wanted uh, some uh, chocolate. So the child wants to force the parent to give them the chocolate. So the child says the shahakal blessing. Uh, the parent is not going to be forced to give them the food. So the parent quickly uh, fills up a cup of water and gives it to the child. Anyways, so the point is, when you make a blessing, um, you have to get as detailed as possible, and you have to know that the food that you're going to be making the blessing on is already and is there, ready to be made, uh, ready for the blessing to be made on. Um, there's another story which brings out the idea of gratitude and specific thanks. There's a story of a rabbi who uh, one time came you know, from the Altaheim, from the old country, he came to, you know, the new country, and he's, first thing he does, he goes to a restaurant to eat, and he's sitting down to eat, and he orders a tea, and he gets the tea, and they say, five dollars for the tea. He says, five dollars. Tea doesn't cost that much. The tea bag, the sugar, well, how much does it cost? So the person says, well, you're not just paying for the tea, you're paying for the ambiance, paying for the music in the background, you're paying for the waiter, you're paying for the food, you're paying for the ceramic beautiful cup, you're paying for all these other things. It's not just for this, just for the tea. And so it's the same thing when we eat. We're not just thanking God for food. We're thanking God for bread, or we're thanking God for wine, or we're thanking God uh, for all these different foods that we're eating. And so that actually brings us to the after blessing. In the after blessing, there's actually different after blessings depending on what you've eaten. We're all familiar with the Birkat Hamazon, uh, there's a long blessing, which is said only over bread, but even other foods have their own after blessing, even if you didn't eat bread. And so it's important to find out what those blessings are. Uh, maybe we'll touch on that all the way at the end. Uh, but first, I wanted to discuss two other topics. One was meat and milk. Again, we're not discussing what's kosher, what's not kosher. But even if you have kosher meat and kosher milk, you have to know after you eat meat, you have to wait six hours till you eat milk. Vice versa, if you eat dairy, if you eat cheese, you only have to, you don't, according to many opinions, you don't have to wait any time. You can just clean out your mouth and then you can eat meat unless you ate an aged cheese. 
like a Parmesan or a Swiss cheese or something like that. Um, Chabad custom is we wait an hour from dairy to meat. Another thing we always make sure to have on our tables is salt. Why salt? It says that the table is like the altar that was in the Holy Temple. Just as the altar was a place of elevation, the offerings that were brought up on the altar were elevated. We are elevating everything that is on our table. And so just as on the, on the temple table, there was always salt, we also put salt on our table to commemorate that. Now at a deeper level, what is, why is the salt, it, what does the salt um, do for us? So the salt, it says, God made a covenant with salt. Salt reminds us of covenant and, and promise. And so we're reminded of the eternal covenant that God has with the Jewish people. And so we remember that covenant and we remember our mission, what we have to do. In addition to that, salt represents understanding, it's taste. Taste is related to understanding. And so when we eat, we have to bring some depth into what we're doing, into our eating, which is what we've been discussing all this time today. So what are ways that we can bring meaning into our eating? One is uh, a note of compassion. You can, of course, uh, invite guests. You can all, there's also a concept of Torah study. Uh, when you eat, you're supposed to discuss topics of uh, Torah wisdom, a story or something, something that could bring meaning into your uh, meal. They tell the story of um, these two Jews that came from Brooklyn. They traveled to Israel. They're walking around a kibbutz. And as they walk around the kibbutz, one of the boys sees an apple on the tree. So he grabs the apple, he starts eating it, and a kibbutznik sees him and starts screaming at him. What are you taking the apple for? Don't you know it says in the Torah and the Ten Commandments, Lo tignov, thou shalt not steal. Wow, and the boy keeps eating the apple, and the guy's still screaming at him. Don't you know the Torah says, Lo tignov, thou shalt not steal. And finally finishes eating the apple, and he turns to his friend, and he says, Ah, Israel is such a wonderful country. Only in Israel can you eat while hearing words of Torah. Anyways, um... So that was the joke they said. So, but either way, when you eat, you're supposed to hear words of Torah. Also, um, when we eat, again, once we said we're elevating the food that we're elevating the food that we're eating, and so it's important to have the proper mindset when we eat. And so the salt was one way, the water was another way. Something else I wanted to mention was when you when we have salt, we don't put we don't put the salt on the bread. We dip the bread into the salt. There's a Kabbalistic reason to it. Uh, salt represents severity, bread represents kindness, and so we want the kindness to overpower the severity. Also, you should know in Judaism, um, as far as eating, there are a couple laws regarding health. For example, it says don't talk with your mouth full, should be obvious. Uh, if you eat slowly, you'll live a long life. Don't eat unless you're hungry. You should go to the restroom before you eat. Don't eat to the point of being full. And it says most illnesses that afflict human beings are caused by harmful foods or overeating healthy foods. So it's important. And finally, of course, we respect the food that we eat. My grandfather, um, whenever he has to throw out bread, he breaks it apart. He says it's not respectful to throw a giant loaf. So he'll always take it and break it up. So if you see food on the floor, pick it up. We never ever throw bread. Um, so we respect the food that we eat. And if we're not eating, we dispose of it in a, a proper manner. I said I would discuss the grace after meals. Just wanted to point out, because we're running out of time here, and I've been going pretty quick over here. As far as the grace after meals, the blessing, uh, when we eat bread, the blessing is has to contain three basic points. If you look at the 
Berkat Hamazon, the blessing for food that we say after bread. There are three basic points. One is we're thanking God for providing us with the food. Um, the second thing is we're thanking God for giving us the land of Israel. And the third one is we're thanking God for giving us God's chosen city. Those are the first three blessings of the Berkat Hamazon. When you eat uh, fruits of the land of Israel or you eat uh, cookies or cakes, we make a shortened version of that. But again, they'll all contain those elements, thanking God for the food, thanking God for the land of Israel, thanking God for the city of Jerusalem. Interesting to note, the first blessing was written by Moses. The second one was written by Joshua and the third one was written by King David. So they have really very, very nice authors. Now, again, the benching is very long. The after blessing is very long. If you cannot say it all, at the very least, um, say as much as you can. We're going to wrap up here because we're uh, because it's um, we're hitting up the end of the time. But the main point is, and of all these laws that we have over here, once again, it brings to the fore. Food is a very, very much, can be a very much self-focused activity. In the JLI course that we had earlier this year, we discussed there's our mission-focused soul and our self-focused soul. Eating naturally brings out within us our self-focused soul. And so we do all these different things to remind us of our mission. And the mission is not just to elevate ourselves, but more importantly, to elevate the world around us. And that comes through eating with purpose. And that starts with not eating gluttonly. That, it, that starts with washing our hands to remind us of the purpose that we're eating, inviting guests, compassion in our eating. All of these things are there and intended so that when we eat, we eat in the proper manner. And so again, it's not just about kosher, much more than kosher, because kosher is just allows your food to be elevated, but now you have to actually elevate it. And so this concludes the class on more than just kosher, Judaism at home. Judaism at home is about elevating our home. And what better place to start than when it comes to food. So the mission for the week is next time you food, bring a little bit more mindfulness when you eat. Be a little bit more mindful why you're eating it and is there a purpose. Don't just grab food, but think. It's difficult. Most of the time we won't do it, but if we, if we can do it sometimes, if we can do it partially, uh, we're already moving a step forward and hopefully it'll also help for our diet too.